The Forum at 8 with Polani Gwala. Seven and a half minutes after eight. Welcome to the Forum at 8 here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Well, this morning looking at the, the situation out of Cyprus, but also bringing it back here at home. We've had our own problems over the past weeks uh, or months even. Uh, we've had a, a very sharp fall uh, in the currency, the rand. Uh, and also we heard last week the MPC talking about uh, inflationary, inflationary pressures. Then as a result, partly of the the rand's fall. Let's talk about then what it all means. What are the implications? Let me welcome my guest on the program, starting with Mr. Peter Major. He's the director of KD's Corporate Solutions. Mr. Major, good morning. Hi, Kalani. Are you well? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Also on the other line, Mike Kinnan uh, is APSA Capital Currency Strategist. Mr. Kinnan, good morning. Uh, good morning, you. Thank you. Uh, let me start with Mr. Kinnan. Uh, there is a report, and we've been running with it the whole morning, a deal reached in uh, Eurogroup talks, talking about the Cyprus situation there. Uh, wh- what is your understanding of this deal, and what are the implications thereof? Yes, uh, well, thankfully, uh, the authorities in, in Cyprus, as well as uh, the other EU officials, agreed to in our sort of bailout program for, for Cyprus. Uh, Cyprus, as uh, many will know, uh, we're looking for um, additional funding, uh, around uh, 10 billion euros worth of, of additional funding to keep basically uh, its banks solvent. Um, and uh, in order for that to happen, they were required to come up with uh, sort of their own contribution uh, of around uh, 5 billion euros. And uh, thankfully, we, uh, we did eventually see uh, a deal being struck because last week, Unfortunately, uh, the news hit that they were going to start uh, basically taxing or putting a levy on, on deposit holders in Cyprus, and that uh, caused quite a stir in the market. Thankfully, that has been averted now, and uh, they've said that what they're going to do is that the, the, large, uh, the large depositors will, will potentially lose some of their cash, but for the ordinary man in the street, uh, they will will not be be taxed uh, any longer as was originally thought. So they've averted a crisis. They, they're not going to leave the euro, and uh, they've kept, as I say, the bank solvent. And, and there was a lot of unease about this, Mr. Major, uh, not only within the eurozone but elsewhere, including South Africa. Why would we have been affected by this? Look, if this happened four years ago, you could say there's a possibility of a chain reaction, a, a domino effect. And it's not that South Africa would be directly affected. We would have been indirectly affected if this started four years ago and it turned into a domino effect. But I think it's been overblown because this has now been going on for four years, and it's been going on in much larger countries with with magnitudes of greater debt, greater bailouts, worse banks. So I think this thing was overblown for a long time now. And I think that's why Germany was playing hardball with these guys. Germany's been through this game with Iceland, with Ireland, with Spain, and Italy. And it just feels we've got to draw a line someplace. And a lot of Germans thought this place was nothing but a casino. The the banks have 800% more loans given out than the value of the whole country. And, And basically, I just think it was overblown. And as we just heard, they, they found a resolution as if anyone was going to doubt that they would find a resolution. We found a resolution for all these euro crises in the last four or five years. So 
I didn't doubt we were going to find a resolution to this. Uh, is that what you think as well, Mr. Kinnan, that, that the, the resolution was always going to be found? Because some people were really worried about the possibility of a collapse uh, of, of the economy in Cyprus. Yeah, I, would tend, I tend to agree. I think we've had these sort of last-minute uh, bailouts coming through uh, each and every time in, in these various countries. And I think, you know, the, the European authorities are very scared to let any of these countries actually fail. Uh, for one huge region, reason, and that is if one country of the, within the 17-member the EU had to, had to leave the union, then the risk of other members leaving uh, thereafter is, is, is increasingly high because probably what will happen is you'll see massive devaluation of the currency within the country that, that exits, and that could actually go a long way in, in helping that country to, to boost its exports, make it more competitive. Uh, while the countries left in it might argue, well, now they're constrained by a relatively uh, stronger currency, and uh, they left uh, basically settled with the bill for bailing out all the other countries that are maybe highly indebted. So I think uh, the powers that be within the EU are very, uh, are very carefully monitoring the situation and trying to ensure that no one actually leaves the, 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 the monetary union. And, and, and in fact, there's no actual clause with within the whole uh, European Monetary Union that, that allows for one of the countries to leave. So that just shows you how, how committed these guys are and how they desperately want to keep everything uh, still in place. But it was interesting, uh, Mr. Kinnan, again, how, how, uh, how much uh, the European Union, in fact the Troika, including the IMF, were willing to play hardball uh, with Cyprus here, uh, calling on Cyprus to, to come up with the 5.8 billion uh, euros before they can then access the bailout. Absolutely. You know, they, they're going to play. They're going to play hardball. They're, they're going to make sure that the countries that are these countries that are heavily indebted actually uh, pay uh, and contribute towards uh, the restoration of the banking sector, and, and don't basically just uh, rest on their laurels and expect bailouts from other countries. So they are going to they are going to play hardball, and the terms and conditions are going to be tough. But at the, at the same time, um, as we were saying just now, I don't think they're going to let any country go to the wall because the ramifications of any country leaving are just too great. And um, I think uh, that's why we're going to continue to get this wrangling and these 11th hour deals uh, between, between the Troika because... No one wants it to fail, but at the same time, no one wants to give any free lunches out. Right, and I'm going to come to you in a minute, Mr. Major. But Mr. Kinnan, here's a very interesting uh, SMS here. It comes from Tony in Durban who says, but how do banks go insolvent? Well, I mean, it's, it's quite simple. I mean, you know, if, if, if the, 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 the basically the depositors are, are, are basically not able to come up with, with the goods, um, if you look at Cyprus as a good example, um, a lot of the deposits were actually um, Greek-orientated in nature. So without the bailout that we saw for Greece last year, some of those um, deposits weren't going to actually um, you know, some of those, those funding weren't going to be made good because simply that economy was, was in recession. So uh, it, it comes down to whether or not uh, people are actually good for the cash that, uh, that comes through uh, or they're not. And, and, and in this case, there, there was the risk that uh, we could actually see them uh, not coming good on, on their payments. And I want to bring it back here at home then, uh, Mr. Major. Uh, how how has it are there any visible uh, imp, is there any visible impact on the South African maybe the, the currency or, or just the general economy as a result of the uncertainties uh, that we have reported on in Cyprus? 
I think there's very few Kalani. Um, geographically, we're very far removed from all this. But financially, we're also quite removed from it because we've kept a hold of our currency it, as as most, um, I should say, proven countries. But say, say America is a good example. The U.K., Switzerland, Russia, Brazil, India. By, by keeping your own currency, if you get in a real bind, you can always print more of your currency, and you're out of the bind. That's simple. And because Cyprus adopted the euro, excuse me, like Greece did, mm -hmm. they're dependent on playing by the rules of the euro, and they're locked in with the other 17 countries that have adopted the euro. So South Africa is very different. Um, people say, oh, we're going to get some blowback because we're a margin emerging country. No, not really. We've, we've been part of the world financial system very strongly since 1890, 1900. We, we've got a great 100-year history. We've never defaulted on any loans. We print our own currency. We generate hard currency through the export of metals. So I don't even think this, this recent weakness that we've seen with the RAND going to 930, I don't think that's anything to do with this Cyprus story. I, I think that's to do with our internal overspending going over budget. But I, I think we were very far removed geographically and in reality from the Cyprus. All right, I'm going, to come, I'm going to come back to that reason that you just pointed out now to our overspending and so on in a minute. But, Mr. Kennan, do you agree? Because some, uh, on Friday we're talking about uh, the, the risk aversion uh, in the emerging currencies and suggesting that the RAND's fragile territory was directly related to that Cyprus debt woes. Look, I think if you look at the RAND's performance over the past six months, most of the weakness has come due to South African-specific factors. We've had credit rating downgrades. We've had a lot of strike activity. We've had the current account deficit blowing out. Uh, all of those factors have really contributed to the RAND weakness. And actually, uh, up until the Cyprus uh, sort of fiasco, we've actually had a, a risk-on trading environment. In other words, people were feeling quite optimistic about the global economy, Things were getting better in countries like the U.S. in terms of its growth, China as well. And uh, the European crisis was, was kind of put on the back burner for the time being. Um, but yet the RAND didn't benefit from um, that, all that global risk appetite because of these South African-specific concerns that I've just outlined. Um, now, when, when, when the Cypriot crisis uh, developed, there was some risk aversion, there was some uncertainty because... Although, as we say, you know, Cyprus is, is quite small in, in the bigger scheme of things, and we've had bigger crises before, um, the markets hate uncertainty, and I think that's what brought about a bit of risk aversion. Now, just because the RAND didn't uh, take advantage of the risk-on environment in, in previous months doesn't mean that if we had a dragged-out crisis in Cyprus or any other global event that the RAND wouldn't weaken as well. Unfortunately, the RAND does tend to perform poorly, in a risk-off trading environment. Um, but for, the, for the, the past six months, I would say that uh, most of the RAND's weakness has not been because of global factors. It's been more because of domestic factors. And just again, talking about the past six months, has it been extraordinary for you, Mr. Kenan? The RAND's weakness. I beg your pardon. I'm saying the, the RAND's weakness, has, has, been, has it been extraordinary for you or, or is it something that should be expected? Has it been within range? I, I think it, it, it's to be expected given South Africa's poor fundamental backdrop. I think we've got a very, we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us. It was outlined by the finance minister uh, in, during, during the recent budget. It was outlined by 
the Reserve Bank Governor at, at last week's uh, MPC meeting. You know, we've, we've got relatively low growth. We've got a current account deficit that uh, is very, very wide, uh, even with by emerging market standards. I think South Africa is only second to Turkey when it comes to, to having a, a very large current account deficit which means that uh, a weaker currency uh, often is the kind of pressure valve to, to release some of those, those fundamental flaws. So a weaker currency will hopefully boost exports, uh, and that will reduce some pressure on the current account deficit and will also help the export sector to possibly create jobs and, and to garner greater levels of growth. So um, I think in South Africa's case, uh, as uh, Mr. Major was outlining, you know, we've, we've got a currency that can actually act as this pressure valve to, to, to try and alleviate some of the pressures, unlike those countries in Europe. And I think what we've seen in the currency is just pure market forces playing themselves out. When, when you've got weak growth, when you've got um, a wide current account deficit, the best thing you can have is probably a weaker currency or a more competitive exchange rate. Hmm. All right, Mr. Major, your thoughts then? Uh, you, you were talking about budget, for instance. Sorry, repeat that. Come you were on. talking about uh, 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 our budget, and, and that may it may have something to do with that. Y- yeah, I think our budget's almost everything to do with our, our currency um, being at 930. Um, unfortunately, all this world crisis has provided a very good excuse, um, a very good reason for our politicians to spend a lot more money than we've ever spent before relative to what we're bringing in. And any idea of a balanced budget doesn't even seem to enter any of the politicians' heads here. And because we see all these countries around us in bad shape, we think, geez, then we can push the limit a lot more than we normally would. If, if I go back to 99, 2000, mm-hmm. then you had a, a new Treasury Secretary, Trevor Manuel, and we had a new Central Bank Chairman Tito Mbweni, and I think both of these gentlemen were really concerned how South Africa looked to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world was in pretty good shape then, and so we really didn't want to stand out as a loser. We wanted to stand out as every bit as positive as all the other countries around us. And both those gentlemen worked really hard at ensuring we had a strong currency and a balanced budget. And now, with all this chaos outside of South Africa, our current set of politicians, they just think this is a good excuse to just spend like there's no tomorrow and we can run giant budget deficits. We can have huge spending and borrowings that we never could have got away with before because the world is too focused on places like Cyprus, Iceland, Greece, etc. So unfortunately, this backdrop has, has given a lot of latitude for, for this country to get slack on its budget. It's very sad, and that's why the currency is now 9.30 and, and could even get worse if we don't rein in spending. It could even get worse. Mr. Cannon, let me pick up on that issue, because another ongoing, and it's been bubbling under for a very long time, this, this discussion here in South Africa, is what is the fair value of the RAND? Well, according to, to our sort of valuations, we would fairly value the RAND based Theory on something like in, inflation differentials or purchasing power parity at around 850 uh, to the US dollar. So we would concur with the Reserve Bank Governor's remarks uh, a fortnight or so ago when she actually indicated that the currency was undervalued mm. uh, on theoretical grounds. Unfortunately, 
um, when we look at the RAND or other currencies, often a currency can deviate from kind of fair value or theoretical values for, for long periods of time. And the, and the RAND is no exception in this regard. I mean, if we look back over time, we see that in 2001, the RAND was, was undervalued by around 30%. In 2008, when we had the credit crisis, the RAND was undervalued by about 20%. At the moment, sort of 6 to 8% undervaluation isn't actually extreme. And, and the currency will probably remain undervalued until we have improvements on these fundamental issues like current accounts, like budget deficits, like poor growth. Unfortunately, that, that's the reality. So, again, it comes down to market forces. If your fundamentals improve, then your currency will probably migrate back to fair value. But until such time, I think we will, will remain in excess of, of that sort of 850 fair value. And the implications uh, immediately, what are they? I mean, we, we ran a story on Friday uh, by uh, an international research company, UBS, that said South Africa could see a significant number of investors leaving the country should the rand continue to weaken. Do you agree with that assessment, Mr. Kenner? I think, I think South Africa still has a very compelling investment case. Uh, if you look at uh, our interest rates, even though we have cut our interest rates by South African standards to, to record lows, they are still relatively high by international standards. We've got very deep and sophisticated financial markets, so investors have a lot of confidence that they can come and, and buy South African assets, be it equities or bonds, um, and, and they can get their money out uh, relatively easily. They can trade in, in a variety of instruments, derivatives, you name it. Uh, it's basically like trading uh, in, in developed markets like the States or, or Europe. And I think that, that's very compelling. You also have to bear in mind that South Africa forms part of a lot of global indices that, that investors tend to track. So last year we had the World Government Bond Index. South Africa was included in that. Uh, but South Africa's involved in a lot of other equity and bond indices. So these global investors are actually obliged to hold South African assets. So I don't think that necessarily further weakness in the exchange rate is going to actually cause those foreign investors to capitulate and, and, and run from our shores. I think they will remain obliged to, to buy our assets, provided we can continue to keep our investment grade, uh, which, which, which seems, uh, seems very likely. And if anything, if they are worried about the currency, they can actually do something about it. They can hedge themselves against currency risk, as can uh, corporates. Um, we have got, as I said, very sophisticated financial instruments. You can, you can hedge yourself against currency risk, either in the forward market or in the option market. And that, that will provide um, some, some, some sort of um, relief for these foreign investors because all the bonds that were bought last year, those investors have got the option to, to hedge themselves. So they will, they will want to continue to tap into the high interest rates that South Africa offers, but they don't necessarily want to carry the currency risk. But as I say, they can do something about that, and I think they will. So no, I don't think there's going to be a massive exodus from South Africa. Mr. Major, as you heard, Mr. Kinnan is highlighting the issue of the high interest rates. It's always been a a sweetener, if you will, for for the investors, of course, compared to uh, the kind of uh, yields that they can get in, in Europe and in America. But is it still a sweetener? Yeah, it is still a sweetener. And Look, this currency has lost a lot in just the last three months. I think we've gone from just over 8 to about 9.30. And yet, our, our interest rates are about 5.5, and nobody's getting more than 1% when they leave this country, unless they go to some place like Cyprus. So, yeah, it is a sweetener here. And 
look, a weak currency stimulates the economy. It definitely stimulates the stock market. Almost the majority of the businesses on our stock market perform better with a weak currency. So even if a few of the recent bond investors take their money out of the country, it'll probably be made up for by equity investors coming back in. So I don't see any exodus here. The rest of the world is just too messed up right now, and we still look on a relative basis fairly attractive. Right. What I'll do also here is open the lines on 0891-10428, 0891-10428. Let's, uh, let's discuss these issues. Uh, these are issues that affect us on a day-to-day basis. What do people think about them? Uh, whether it's about Cyprus, where, uh, whether it's about the currency, the rand, and where it is at the moment, or uh, the inflation that's been flagged um, by the Reserve Bank Governor last week after the MPC meeting. Let's go to Yaj in Cape Town. Yaj, good morning. Morning, Colonel. Hi, welcome. Good morning to your guests. Uh, what I want to say about Cyprus is that this is such a huge blow to confidence in, in, in the market because this is actually confiscation of people's savings. It's actually a direct theft of people's savings. And this is done to bail out the bondholders and reckless private lenders at the expense of the taxpayers and depositors and savers in Cyprus, which is at really a, a, a drastic action to take, and is a you know it, it dents confidence in the entire system. Hmm. And why this is being done is because the entire financial system globally is constantly teetering on the brink of collapse. That is because all these big global financial uh, banks are so highly leveraged in the derivatives market. The derivatives market has a notional value of 30 times the actual real global economic output, and this is to prevent the collapse of this financial system. Hmm. And this does not all go well. Now, why do banks uh, fail and go bankrupt? Because they are involved in fractional reserve banking. They create 97% of our money supply by issuing loans created out of thin air. All right. Uh, yeah, let me thank you very much. It's an interesting point you're making, and I'm going to ask my guest to consider it. Uh, uh, also, there was a response that I, I saw a little earlier on. In fact, it came through on SMS. Somebody who said, um, this is the big test as to who comes out top. The populations of whole countries or the wheeler dealer banking spivs who control the money. If the bank spivs win and the people have to cough up for their stealing and trousering, then it is a disaster for democracy. The populations and countries must take their hard-earned money back into their own hands and out of the pockets of the bankers. So that's the sentiment coming through um, in relation to what has transpired then in, in Cyprus. Let me do this. Before my, my guests respond to what um, Yaj was saying, and of course also this SMS, um, we'll take the updates. Remember that you can call us then on 891 104208 891 104208 email us at gwala at sbc.co.za or sms us at 34701 34701. But let's take your updates then. We'll start with the news from Vabakshni Chet. The with Kolani Gwala. 0891104208, And remember my guests on the program this morning, Peter Major is director at KD's Corporate Solutions and Mike Kinnan is APSA Capital Currency Strategist. And they're taking your calls on 0891104208. And I'm going to go to the lines in a minute. There's Sebastian in Cape Town, among others. Of course, also SMS is coming through at 34701 and emails at guala But, Mr. Kinnan, let me start with you, perhaps your responses. Yaj uh, was talking about uh, the theft of people's deposits but also talking about the sector that's always te- teetering uh, on the brink. 
Well, Kulani, what, that's what that's what makes uh, last night's deal so so inspiring is the fact that actually for the average man in the street, in other words, anybody that's got a deposit within these superior banks of less than a hundred thousand euros will actually not lose their money. Their money is fully guaranteed. The guys that are actually going to absorb the loss are your your bigger investors. So um, I think of 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 all the the, the the money that's in Cyprus, within the banking community, around 20 billion euros belongs uh, to to, the, to some Russian investors, mm-hmm. and those are the guys that are actually going to to uh, incur most of the losses. So, um, you know, when we look at when we look at Greece, there, for example, it wasn't really the man in the street; it was more the the private the private bondholders that actually absorbed the losses. So that's what I think causes these. Uh, these negotiations to be dragged out for such long periods of time is because the, the authorities and the power that be are very well aware that a lot of these crises have not been brought upon by the average man, man in the street, and, and thus should, he should not have to, to bear the brunt of the crisis. And I think that's what they're desperately trying to do, and I think that's what they've actually achieved with last night's deal. So that's uh, that's a bit of good news um, for, for 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 the for the man in the street because because actually as I say he has been contributing sure. in essence to uh, Mr. the Major, portion of this crisis. Just watching the visuals uh, out of uh, out of uh, uh, Cyprus yesterday, it was quite interesting because there were so many private jets. Um, particularly from <laughs> Russia, <laughs> people trying to make sure that their investments or at least you know part of their investments are still there. Look, everything our caller said is true, but we've all known that for a long time. That means decades, not just a couple years or the last week. We've known for decades. Savers are going to get stiffed, and borrowers are going to get the the royal treatment because the world is run by borrowers. And all these prudent things that we thought we were taught as kids no longer seem to apply. So there's just been example after example, bank after bank, corporate deal after corporate deal, country after country, is the age of the borrowers getting priority treatment is long, long gone. That's why the world is drowning in trillions of debt and why all the banks and all the governments and businesses are working to sustain the system because the system mostly is composed of borrowers and savers in a minority, and minorities are getting crunched. And the the real small minority here has been spared, and mostly because there's probably quite a few numbers that could revolt in Cyprus and could probably drag the government out of the building and and tar and feather in. So it it shows that at the last minute he realized there's enough numbers of those people, Mm -hmm. small savers, they could make my life difficult. Somehow he's negotiated that the bigger bigger depositors are going to pick up most of the tab and the smaller depositors are going to get out of it. So they actually kind of won in this in this instance, but probably just because they took the streets and were really very threatening. Right. And I, I'm going to come back to the issue about the Russians in a minute because I saw a very interesting um, uh, analysis, if you will, just an opinion on, on, on the relationship between the Russians and uh, the Cyprus finance. I'm going to read that for you in a minute. But let me read this email as well from Opet Hasanyan in Tsebokeng who says, It is clear to me that capitalism as, econo- as an economic system has failed and it continues failing even us, the poor nations. It's about time that world thinkers develop and coin new systems 
that will be far away from both socialism and capitalism systems. We cannot go on repair and repair dilapidated systems. Let's go to Sebastian uh, in Cape Town on the line. Sebastian, good morning. Morning to you. I'll just rephrase, Mr. Major. The international system is now based on fraud and theft from savers with negative real interest rates. And that's the bottom line in printing of money where there's no penalty on the on the U.S. and other countries that print money. So what I'd like to speak about is fair value of the rands. One of your speakers was saying it's somewhere in the 850. Mark, I would uh, disagree uh, most strenuously. Um, what I would suggest that the only fair value of the RAND is one that gives our labor a decent remuneration rate in real terms and international terms, and that is when you take the nominal uh, wages of our labor and multiply it by the exchange rate to get a dollar rate and then equate that with the dollar rate or equivalent in the UK. U.S., U.K., Japan in the first world because we are not an isolated economy. You can run a separate economy in places like China for a while while you have a large isolated hinterland and the same will happen in Vietnam, but eventually it catches up with you. We don't have that. We're too integrated in the um, world economy, and for that reason, uh, the exchange rate now makes our labor a slave labor market here, and you have to look at who are the beneficiaries just to claim the market is doing that to our exchange rate. Nonsense. I think the market is directed. I think there's an ethos out that we, our goods are bought cheaply. Our shares, and this is very important, are bought too cheaply in terms of labor hours. If you look at the hours of, when we do trade with someone, we're putting in a massive multiple of the amounts of hours of labor required to produce goods than the, the worker in the first world. When you look at the pension fund from overseas coming in and buying up our country and the investor, which is on an ever-increasing rate to the extent that they're becoming more and more foreign-owned, uh, the number of hours of labor of the, men- the member of that pension fund overseas that's takes to buy one uh, share here. Now is a fraction of what our pension funds have to put in. Uh, So we're just seeing ourselves being manipulated. Hmm. I think we are a target. We are the the, uh, world's largest assets of minerals, and I think this is the bottom line of things. It's just a manipulation to buy us out cheaply. All right, Mr. Buskin in Cape Town. 0891-10428. Mr. Kinnan. Yes, I mean, when, 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 I, when I mentioned that, that valuation for, for the currency, that was based on sort of your, your average cost of goods. Uh, so that would be based on, on kind of an inflation basket. Um, you could use uh, labor as also an alternative pricing mechanism or pricing base to value your exchange. But the problem with South Africa is that our labor productivity is, is so poor. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we always tend to, to basically blame the exchange rate for, for our competitiveness or lack thereof, um, whilst we also need to, to increase our, our labor productivity, especially when you're looking at labor productivity in terms of, of skill. So the level of skill relative to the level of productivity in South Africa is still poor compared to most of our emerging market peers. And that is, is why um, we also struggle uh, on, on things like on exports and, and why we've got things like large current account deficits, not just the currency. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we use a, a purchasing power parity, as I said, and that gives you around 850. That's kind of the international standard of, of value in currencies. There's a lot of other ways that you can value exchange rates, but it's been proven time and time again that over the long term, 
purchasing power parity is probably your your best approach. So it's a line in the sand. It's not absolute. I would agree with that. But I think it's one of the better measures we have. Right. Let's go to Igba in Linesia. Good morning, Igba. Good morning, uh, Hi. Kalani. Hi, You've heard many of the arguments. What I just want to say is that the exchange rate, the interest rate, the inflation rate, are one of the biggest money laundering tricks that we are being played. Why? On. Why? Well, if you take just the exchange rate, take note and you'll see how foreign investors or the market buys into our markets. And then when the exchange rate is favorable, they sell off and they take money out of the country. Our mm. pension funds are being depleted according to that. It's a very, very sophisticated trick to go into on a telephone. Mm. But think about it and you'll see how this thing works. Right. We've got a Trinitarian concept. It is basically exchange rate, infla- inflation rate, and the interest rate. The inflation rate is that one, the ghost that you cannot find. Mr. Major, do you want to weigh in? Look, Alani, you have very intelligent um, listeners. Sure. Every, every word these callers have said, I think, is, is 100% right. I, I don't think I've heard any of them say one thing that's not true. The problem is, what are we going to do about it? We, we know all these things. We know capitalism's bust. We know it's corrupt, and that's why you've got trillions and trillions of debt. And, and the poor guy who saved and works hard, he's bearing the brunt. I won't say that our wages are unrealistically low. I think they're probably about right. In fact, on the whole, for our productivity, our wages are too high. But the first world's wages are way, way too high for what they produce, and that's why they have trillions of dollars of debt, and we only have billions of dollars of debt. So it's really, I think the only solution for the individual in all this is education. We live in this giant, corrupt capitalist system, and if you're educated enough, you can protect yourself to a large degree. You might even want to take part in this this corrupt system, or there's ways of, of earning a decent amount of money without really directly being part of it. But only education is going to save us. There's, I don't see another way. Right. Let me read some SMSs for you, and I'm going to go to the lines. 0891104208. Uh, Don in Cape Town says, My parents instilled in me the maxim, uh, Neither a lender nor a borrower be. That's Don in Cape Town. Uh, Billy Midrand, bank runs are imminent and long overdue, coming soon. This whole banking system must be destroyed. Uh, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. That's uh, Billy Midrand. A uh, very interesting one on the bank runs because also somebody tweeted me, um, Ian, who says, if there was a, a run on banks in South Africa, what percentage could be paid out before our banks run dry? I don't know if you want to uh, uh, attempt to answer the question there, Mr. Kinnan. Sure, that, that's, uh, that's a difficult one, but uh, we do know that uh, you know banks are obliged to hold um, X percent of the of their total deposits in, in liquid assets. So, if there had to be a bit of a squeeze on 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 deposits and people, there was sort of a so-called run on the mm-hmm. bank that they'd uh, be able to meet uh, their commitments in, in the short term. But uh, obviously, if there's a sustained run on the bank, it's going to be very difficult, and, and you'd probably find that the authorities would do some similar to what's happening in, in Cyprus at the moment, where they actually close the banks. Um, at the moment in Cyprus, they're saying that you can only withdraw, I think it's 100, 100 or 120 euros yeah. uh, a day, just to try and limit limit the, the sort of the, the bleeding. Um, so I think that will probably will happen, uh, because obviously if everyone dashes for their cash at the same time, it's going to create a huge, huge problem. Touch wood, it never happens. David in Joburg, hello. Um, hi, um, and hi to your guests. Yeah, hi, go ahead. Um, 
just very, very quickly, um, you know, the issue of labor productivity, I really would like to challenge that. You know, we're sitting in a country where we've got between 25 and 45 percent unemployment, depending on whose statistics you believe. Um, and most of the workers here have huge dependency ratios in terms of their, uh, in terms of their wages and income. You can't expect workers to be productive when they live in the appalling and squalid conditions that they live in our country, the squatter camps and the townships and so on. We see the service delivery protests almost every week um, happening. Uh, people who were put in places uh, by apartheid in terms of spatial arrangements far away from their work. They spend a lot of their money on transport. The transport system is unreliable. Uh, the taxis are, are dangerous to go to work with and so on. And people have to get up very, very early in the morning to go to work and they get home very, very late with much time to, uh, to, uh, to recover. You know, um, um, most people disfave in South Africa simply because they can't afford the current prices and so on that are there. And then people talk about labor productivity. I mean, if you want to have decent labor productivity, give people decent lifestyles and, and, and decent living conditions, and then they will become productive. Okay. You know, this thing of, 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 of always blaming the workers for the problems of the country is nonsense. Right. You know, we've got the most, uh, the most unequal society uh, on the planet, you know, and, and, and unless we deal with that, with that uh, inequality, we are not going to actually solve the problems of this economy. All right, that's David in Johannesburg, but what I would like us to do on the back of what David is doing, Mr. Kinnan, if you may, is, is to address this question of labor productivity together with the other fundamentals that, that you said must be sorted out in order for us then to deal with currency issues and generally the economy. Yeah, look, I think just to clarify, the thrust of my argument is that, you know, we, we often look at the competitiveness of, of a country and we tend to always rest a lot of attention on, on the currency um, and that the currency needs to weaken to sort of astronomical levels so that our exports can be competitive and it can generate growth, create jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But there's always two sides to that coin, and, and the second side is, is, is comes down to, unfortunately, labor productivity. And while the gentleman, I think, is 100% correct in a lot of the challenges and the socioeconomic issues that, that have to be contended with, we are living in this global village, and we have to be as competitive as possible. And that would include, uh, in part, being as productive as, as possible. So I think... That, that argument still holds, um, albeit uh, it may be a tough, a tough pill to, to swallow, uh, if we are going to compete uh, against other emerging markets for, for their share of, of exports, then we are going to have to be competitive. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen that in the past where we've adopted some very sort of frugal approaches, both on the monetary side with inflation targeting and on the fiscal side, and we're having fiscal surpluses, South Africa attracted vast amounts of capital during that period. So we were rewarded duly for that diligence, and I think we need to apply the same principles when it comes to, to labor productivity. That's going to make us competitive, and in the long run, it's going to benefit the worker. And, and competitiveness, uh, Mr. Major, may also include an issue that you touched on just a short while ago about salaries. Well, salaries, again, it, it, it's education. Education, if there is a magic bullet, would, would solve most of these. Um, we, we just, how do I say it? We're all dishonest. Um, we, we know who the, <laughs> we know who the right people are to vote for. We know who the wrong people to vote for. We know if we're working hard to earn our salary or if we're looking at ways of getting out of work and trying to get more salary. And we've had a breakdown of ethics and morals 
throughout our society here. So it, it's hard to say who's responsible for bad productivity. We, we all are. You know, we we could all be producing more efficiently if, if, if we wanted to, but we believe the other guy next to us isn't. So so we're not going to do it. But what I also wanted to do, gentlemen, uh, as as we're about to wrap up, is really just to go back to the original uh, crux of the matter here, where we were talking about the fundamentals and the fundamentals then leading to the weakness and the currents that we see. How do we address that, Mr. Kinnan? Well, um, I think on, on the fundamental side, we, we a, lot is, a lot is unfortunately going to rest with the global environment. So uh, when we talk about things like, uh, you know, current account deficit, and I've been harping on about this, but um, we, 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 can, we can have a more competitive exchange rate, we can up our productivity, but if global demand doesn't continue to pick up and, and get back to levels that we saw sort of before the 2008 crisis, it's going to be very difficult for, for things to really get going again, because once global demand picks up, then you're probably going to see an influx uh, in, in, in further investment into the country. You're also going to see increased demand for our commodities and, and other exports, and uh, that in turn will create jobs, spur growth, and probably then normalize the exchange rate and bring it back to, to stronger levels. A stronger exchange rate will help the country to, to import a lot of infrastructure goods that are, are very uh, heavily needed. Um, to, to increase our capacity and create higher growth further down the line. So we need all these things to happen, but I think a lot of, of, of uh, the burden actually rests on the global economy. That sure. global economy has to heal. Uh, for us to actually do well. You know, which is interesting because it, it brings me then to tomorrow's summit and perhaps the significance thereof because if we can't continue to export to Europe simply because of the problems there, then we need to identify new markets and perhaps tomorrow's summit, the BRICS summit, is exactly where we are identifying those new markets. Mr. Major? Absolutely. Oh, uh, BRICS? <laughs> Look, we could be the strongest of all the bricks. We've got more minerals than any other country. We've got almost more minerals than number two and three put together. But if you go back to 1900, we had all those minerals, and we had four million people. And if we could have kept our population a lot smaller and we had two and a half trillion in minerals, we would be the richest per capita country by far. And if we've got too many people like we do now, 52 million, that's therefore 30% can't find jobs. And the ones that have jobs, they want even more money, which will exclude even more people. It'll lead to more layoffs. So we've got to utilize the minerals we've got and say, are we producing too many people and not enough minerals? Is there any way we can alter that? And can we have better educated people so they can work more efficiently? and at least produce more and hopefully get their salaries at a reasonable level. There's an SMS here, Mr. Kinnan, and please just, uh, if you may, quickly respond to it for me. Somebody says, why don't we force buyers of bonds and equities to hold them for six months? Is that possible? Well, we see that in countries like Brazil and other emerging markets. Unfortunately, that does act, it could act as a potential deterrent against uh, foreign investment. We want to, I think that's one of being South Africa's uh, sort of trump cards, is that we've actually provided an environment where investors can come and go. And if our fundamentals are good, then people will stay in this country. If our fundamentals are bad, then they might withdraw a, a bit of the cash. So it keeps us honest, uh, and I think it's, it's much more of a free market sort of system, which I personally think is a good thing. Uh, but what about the Reserve Bank as well? Can they weigh in? Can they do something? Can they buy uh, foreign reserves? They, they could, but you, uh, I think the Reserve Bank has, has come out constantly saying that they don't want to intervene 
in, in markets too extensively. They're targeting inflation and they're targeting one of the key fundamentals that we are talking about today. So they want to get inflation under control because that's something that they feel that they can manage. But trying to manage an exchange rate or trying to impose too many capital controls on investors is, is probably treating the symptom rather than the cause. And you're probably not going to actually entice investment. If anything, you're going to deter it. So I think the less you do, the less involvement you have in the markets, the better. And just concentrate on getting the fundamentals right. Let's work on the productivity. Let's work on the growth. Let's work on the inflation. All of those things are something that we can control internally. But, yeah, but like some... the exchange rate is something that we can be very sure. little about. It's driven by global market forces. And I don't think the central bank or the treasury uh, have the ability or the willingness to actually uh, try and manipulate those markets. Because, you know, some, some Mr. Kinnan may point to Brazil again, and you just mentioned Brazil a short while ago, and, and Brazil has had some measures in order to, to deal with its currency weakness. Um, but has it deterred investors at all? Well, a lot of those investors are now kind of trapped because for a very long time those investors were coming in and, and going at, at, at will and, and now those investors have, 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 have been slapped with these, these, these taxes and these, these withholding uh, procedures. So they're not going to go anywhere because some of the investment might be eroded. And, and again, the fundamental story in Brazil is a, is a very good one. So they don't necessarily want to, to, to unlock... Uh, that value, but I think in Brazil's case, they've already got, as you mentioned, a captive audience. South Africa is still looking for ongoing um, investment in the country. We've got a very low domestic savings rate, as one of your investors pointed out, and we need to attract capital. So I think we're still in the early stages, and, and I think tying up with, with the rest of the big countries just puts us on a, even a better footing to, to attract that much-needed capital flow. So, yeah, I think when, we, when South Africa looks at its, its fundamentals and it looks at how easy it is to do business in South Africa, those are the critical measures that are going to bring investors in. Then once investors are in and maybe the economy is overheating, like maybe in countries like Brazil, then you can look at control measures. But even then, I don't believe it's a good measure. You've got to keep markets free and open and let the fundamentals do the talking. Right. Um, Mr. Major, your final thoughts for me, please. Look, we, we can't keep chopping and changing um, there is no magic bullet, silver bullet. There's, there's no decision any one individual can make in this country that's going to really change things. Um, we have to enforce the good constitution we got. We got, we got to enforce the rule of law. We, we can play around with changing the tax rate or changing um, how long an investor has to leave his money here before he takes it out. But if we don't have rule of law and people that respect rule of law, then people aren't going to want to bring money here. Our tax rates on our mines have never been lower. They were much, much higher in the 70s, even 60s during apartheid. Yet there was plenty of foreign money coming into our gold and platinum shares then. So we just have to have a more orderly country. We have to have rule of law, respect for law. We have to have certainty that the rule of law will be abided by and enforced. Mm. And, and people have to stop borrowing like they've been. The government has to stop borrowing. Sure. And individuals in government have never been borrowing like they are now, and, and it's not leading to anything better. So there's no magic bullet here. We all know what we can do to make the place better, from the top politician on down to everybody who even isn't working. They know what they can do to make life better here. Sure. Final uh, thought from you, Mr. Kinnan. I, and I just would like to link it to tomorrow's, again, a BRICS summit. Does it make it even more relevant, I'm talking about BRICS here, given some of the problems that we're talking about within the Eurozone? 
Yes, I, I think so. I think uh, you know emerging markets have to have to sort of come together and see what they can do because the Western countries are under strain at the moment, and and if you know we can we can leverage off each other's sort of advantages um, within those big countries. It's, it's going to go a, a long way in, in boosting our trade performance. Um, trying to to learn from from other people's mistakes and as well as benefit from from their successes. So I think it's critical. Uh, you know, the big countries are basically your group of countries that are going to be where most of the growth is going to come from over the coming decades. And if South Africa can be a part and parcel of that decision-making process within those countries,